listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Colorful, dense, serene. Jonathan Bailey Holland's work has been commissioned and performed by the Atlanta, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Dallas, Detroit, Minnesota, National, Philadelphia, St. Louis, and South Bend Symphony Orchestras, the DeCapo Chamber Players, the Left Coast Chamber Ensemble, Plymouth Music Series of Minnesota, and many others. A recipient of the 2019 Massachusetts Cultural Council Artist Fellowship and a 2015 Frome Foundation Commission, he has received honors from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, American Music Center, ASCAP, the Presser Foundation, and more. He served as the first ever composer in residence for the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra during their 2018-2019 season, composing a companion work to accompany Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And he serves as the Classical Roots composer in residence for the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. He has held similar roles with the Ritz Chamber Players, South Bend Symphony, and the Radius Ensemble. His music has been recorded by the Cincinnati Symphony, the Radius Ensemble, and numerous others. Recent highlights include performances by Eighth Blackbird, Aeolus Quartet, Arcs Duo, and commissions by Boston's Phoenix Ensemble, as well as pianist Owadajan Pratt with Roomful of Teeth. Holland is Chair of Composition, Contemporary Music, and Core Studies at Boston Conservatory at Berkeley, and is a founding member of the Composition Program at Vermont College of Fine Arts. Jonathan, good to meet you. I mean... I'll- Albeit over, albeit over Zoom, you know, of course. Is these days. <laughs> right. Um, we're going to talk about three of your pieces tonight. And I wanted to start off with your piece, The Intimacy of Harmony. And this is a piano piece commissioned by Sarah Bob. And it's on her album, uh, Nobody Move. And this is the oldest piece of yours that we'll look at. So uh, who is Sarah Bob? How did you get connected? And how did this piece come about? Sarah is um, a musician in Boston. Um, she's a pianist. She runs a concert series called New Gallery Concert Series. And um, I honestly, I mean, from time to time, we try to remember like when it was we first collaborated and I'm not really sure, I mean, mm-hmm. ages ago. Um, and we've worked together in various ways. I've written pieces for her concert series. Um, and Boston is a, big city that's a small town so you run into people all the time and we've just sort of known each other and been friends for many many years and this piece was actually the first solo piece that I wrote for her and it's actually the first um I would say substantial piano solo work uh that I um have written it came about because she had this multi-year recording project that she wanted to embark on and I think she reached out to several composers she was friends with and whose music she liked. And um, the piece itself, uh, well, I should mention that the album is um, is uh, being presented um, for voting for Grammy consideration under the best in- instrumental solo category. So, Oh, awesome. Um, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. The work itself, uh, you know, the idea of the intimacy of harmony. For me, I think I think a lot about harmony. Um, you know, I always talk to my students about composing and how 
you know, we need theory class to understand the mechanics of music, but I often, um, I often feel like theory class does a disservice to composers on some level because you learn that everything has a neat and tidy place and a term <laughs> for it and a certain way in which it works. And so you're supposed to follow those directions. Otherwise you're not doing it right. Right. Um, and I try to tell my composers, like your job is just to put the notes together and you let the theorist figure out how to describe what you've done. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for this, this piece, I mean, a lot of how I think about harmony at times is more intuitive than it is kind of textbook uh, methodology. And um, so there's some allusion to that in the title. Um, there's a lot of shifting, like dense shifting chords that just sort of subtly change um, with each repetition. Um, so the idea of really needing to kind of focus and listen closely to hear all of the shifts in the harmony, but also um, thinking more broadly, just this idea that we all listen with our own, um, within our own parameters. And we hear things and make connections based on the music we've heard and the sounds that are in our ear at the time. And I might hear a chord and expect it to do a certain thing. And you might hear a chord and expect it to do something else based on what you've heard or what you're listening to, um, or even just what your preferences are. Um, so there's some of that in terms of the intimacy of harmony. And then also it's just that, um, you know, listening for most of us these days is like a very private thing. We put on our ear pods yep. or headphones and um, particularly when we're out in public on public transportation, which is even kind of a different thing to think about nowadays than it was. Yeah, before. it really is. <laughs> yeah. But, what, you know, everybody puts on their headphones and they look down at their phones and they have their own experience with whatever they're listening to. And, um, you know, and then there's the whole like, well, the whole shuffle idea that like it's not even about like my vision of what my album is supposed to be. But it's that one song you like next to the other song off another album that you like next to another song that you probably haven't heard of that spotify or pandora or whoever decided was the right algorithm to go with the thing that you picked yeah. already and so just this idea that our listening experience is is all over the place and there's references to things that i hear in that piece that i don't think other people would pick up on and and all of that um was this commissioned to be performed in a gallery space this one was not. So many of the pieces that I've written for her and many of the works that she puts on her concert series um, happen in a space that also has work by a particular visual artist. Mm -hmm. And she kind of pairs things together and there's often a uh, an opportunity for a composer to respond to the work of one of the artists um, that's, that's being presented. Um, and sometimes it's just music and art together. Um, so this particular piece wasn't specifically meant to go with any any artwork okay i mean you know you were talking about harmony earlier i i have kind of a fraught relationship with harmony you know sometimes we're friends sometimes we're not yeah, yeah. um and you were talking about you know not like having a very intuitive uh, uh an intuitive process with harmony and just kind of almost like using listening 
and feeling and feeling things out with harmony. I mean, something that I really love about this work is that I can, whether they're there or not, I kind of hear different systems and collections that are kind of intermingling and blurring together. And that, and that makes the, the harmonic aspect of this piece like very colorful and vibrant because mm-hmm. there, it is not just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to use set theory or I'm going to use the octatonic scale. But it becomes this, this thing that is, it, 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 it exists on a spectrum that um, can, can go to those different places kind of seamlessly. Was that, was that how you were kind of thinking about this work? I mean, I think that I, I, I tend to work somewhat organically, like letting the material kind of dictate where it's going to go and what the relationships are going to be. Um, I don't know that I intentionally was trying to intermingle different systems. I think that um, my influences are probably uh, broad. And so when it comes to conceptualizing any particular piece, um, I think various influences will make themselves present during the compositional process at at different times. And that probably affects my decision-making and at least on some level, subconscious ways. Uh, But I do think a lot of how I work is that I, you know, I'll hear a sound and I'll play around with that sound in different ways of putting those sounds together until I feel like I've developed some type of sound world to work in in a particular piece. Um, and then with this one, I think a lot of it has to do with the density of the chords. I mean, some of the, mm-hmm. the chords at the beginning and the end are, are very, very dense chords. A lot of the material in the middle, it's not quite as dense, so there's more kind of running figures, but it's all, it's all centered around kind of the same way of thinking about how the notes relate to one another. And I was kind of wondering, like in in spots, it almost seems like the it's either the root motion of or the bass motion of the harmonies that you're doing, especially when you have the like um, just kind of block present presenting harmony as block chords. Mm-hmm. Was there something kind of dictating that root motion, or was that just it? It almost sounds like there is a, a melody that has been harmonized in a way i don't think i thought about a melody and harmonized it and i don't think i thought about chords and then tried to make a melody but i think the two kind of existed at the same time i had a sense of the harmony and i definitely was thinking i don't even know if i would say melody so much as progression yeah i think i heard a chord progression um and I don't know, maybe it's the many years of teaching counterpoint. Um, right, yeah. It seeps in, doesn't it? It does, it totally does. Um, you know, I think I, I definitely heard a repeated pattern that I think you could call a melody, you could call kind of the outer voices of a progression. Um, and that whether it was resolving the progression or resolving the melody, whether that's in the outer voice, in the top voice or the bottom voice, um, whatever it was, that was definitely in my ear as I was working through where the music wanted to go. You were talking about, uh, you know, having a diverse set of, uh, of influences and like all of those influences can, can, you know, kind of 
have their hand on what you're working right now. When I was listening to this, and you know, you can you can let me know if I'm completely off, but I was I was hearing a an influence of like Debussy or possibly Messian. Mm. Was that was that is that close or or not at all? So I mean that and that right there is like the whole thing behind like you could totally hear Debussy and Messian, yeah. and I can hear how you would have heard that, and mm-hmm. yet. That was not in my ear at all uh-huh. when I was putting this together, um, yeah. at least not consciously. Um, I mean, if anything, there's a section where I was really thinking like McCoy Tyner. Uh-huh. Um, and I hear the Messiaen, but I don't know that I was really trying to emulate that uh, that particular sound. Um, and I think that's probably just like me hearing just really dense chords. You well, know, that's chords, it. yeah, yeah, that are moving in kind of parallel yeah. motion with each other. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to not sound like Messiaen. <laughs> right. It seems like I mean this this work only it, it really only has a couple ideas at play. You know, you have your you you have the 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 block chord presentation and also like the kind of bubbly scales or arpeggios or something like that. It also really seems like you had a really tight control of register in this piece, Mm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about, I feel like I've been fortunate to write a lot of orchestral music. And so when I approach chamber music or in this case, you know, a solo piano work, I still think a lot about timbre and register and color and, um, what music exists in what area on a keyboard and um you know the idea of the density of the harmony and the register and how that relates to each other and how different material might sound in different places on the keyboard so um all of that was very much a, a part of the the conceptualizing of of the piece well, let's listen to it right now. So we're going to be hearing Sarah Bob's performance of The Intimacy of Harmony. And this is this is the uh, recording from her album, Nobody Moves? Yes. yes. All right. So this is The Intimacy of Harmony. Thank you. 
Hi, everyone. My name is Jamie Lee Sampson. I'm a co-owner of Adjective New Music LLC and a proud member of the Adjective Composers Collective. I hope that you're enjoying this week's episode of Lexical Tones. If you like what you hear, please feel free to check out the previous seasons of this podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Adjective New Music website, where we explore a diverse array of sound worlds being created by the musicians of the 21st century. Before we return to this week's episode, here's a brief interlude featuring the music of Garrett Schumann performed by pianist Andrew Schneider. Feel free to sit back and enjoy this excerpt of Garrett Schumann's Four Little Pieces. Let's continue this week's episode of Lexical Tomes. Let's talk about your 2015 work, uh, Synchrony. And this is for oboe, bassoon, violin, cello, piano, and audio playback. And this was commissioned by the Radius Ensemble. And it is on their album, Fresh Paint. Yes. This is the piece that I heard of yours that made me want to contact you. Mm. Um. And as I said, it was commissioned by the Radius Ensemble. So how did, like, I, in your bio, it said you were um, a kind of, you had a, like, residency with, the, with that ensemble. So how did you get connected with them? Who are they? And it seems like you've worked with them uh, at least a few times already. Yes. Um, again, um, so the, the, the woman that runs the the uh, ensemble, Jen Montbach, um, she and I were in school together, um, you know, a few years back. And uh, I think we knew of each other. We weren't really like friends during that time. But um, as you as you probably know, the longer you stay in this world, the smaller the world gets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we ended up working together. Um, I think, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody on the scene here and there's a lot of overlap um with ensembles and i had written a number of works for radius in the past and the album was part of one of their anniversary seasons and so they asked four composers that had written for them in the past to write new works for um that season that would all go on the album um and so this piece, we were, Jen and I were just talking about instrumentation and it seemed like an interesting combination of double reeds and strings and piano. And um, initially, uh, so Jen is an oboe player herself. Um, and I don't know that I had included oboe. I think I had included oboe in one of the pieces I'd written for them previously. Um, but we wanted to kind of get that in the mix with yep. what this piece was going to be. Um, and so initially it was really just going to be kind of an exploration of 
um, kind of the sense of duos. So you've got oboe and bassoon, you've got violin and cello, um, and then how the piano kind of fit in with each of those and all the different combination possibilities that were there. Um, and so I was writing the piece in either 2014, 2015, and that was around the time that it seemed like, I mean, much too frequently, there was a story about somebody who was killed um, uh, and all the events around the kind of Black Lives Matter movement that emerged at that time. And, um, you know, I, I, I talked about how like, I would see these things on TV and there was a sense of like, well, wow, here's another instance where someone's killed but it's like, you know, like anything you watch on TV, it's that person over there, that thing is horrible is happening to them and it feels somewhat disconnected from your world. Right. Um, but like these things kept happening and every time I would see them, I kind of felt like the distance between who I was watching on TV and myself was getting smaller. Um, and I remember in particular, um, the Baltimore kind of lit up after Freddie Gray was killed. And I just sort of remember watching that and feeling like, you know, it really like on some level, all of this is just a matter of like, I was in a different place at a different time. And that's why I wasn't the person in that story. Mm -hmm. um, and to think that like, you know, I'm sitting here trying to write a piece of music for this quintet, this classical music, while watching that go on and just sort of like the, the dissonance in my brain, I just felt like I needed to respond to that. So, um, and that kind of fit in with this idea of, of duets and, and two things trying to figure out how they relate to one another. Um, but as I was writing the piece, I, I just kept feeling like nothing I can write in the music is going to really capture, um, what it feels like to to see this stuff on TV or to yeah. hear about this happening again, um, you know, to to watch like the video of of Eric Garner, um, you can't like there's nothing I was going to write was going to really capture what it's like to sit there and watch that happen. Yeah. Um, and so I decided I needed to bring some of the current reality into the piece. Um, through the use of these audio clips. And I didn't feel like I needed to use very long clips. I feel like I wanted to kind of capture something that was recognizable in some way um, and something that captured, you know, the fact that here we are with Obama as president and all of this stuff is happening at the same time. Um, so that's why you hear the first clip is Obama in the second inauguration speech. And, you know, like many people, when you hear his voice, you know who it is. Yep. Um, and to juxtapose that with Eric Garner. Um, and then later, um, there's the Black Girls Rock award ceremony and Cecily Tyson was giving a, a speech, um, just sort of empowering young women. And so to juxtapose that with um, audio from the Sandra Bland um, arrest, um, again, just to kind of, underscore the idea that these two things were happening at the same time. Um, 
And so, yeah, I just decided midway through the piece that that was going to become part of the work. And some of it was, some of the music had already been written. So it was a matter of finding a clip that kind of fit with what I had done. And some of it, um, some of the music emerged after finding the clips. And so it responded in different ways with the, with the audio. I think the first time I heard this piece, I kind of glossed over the fact that there was going to be like audio in it. Like I just thought it was a chamber work. And when the audio did come in, it really like, it hit me really hard. And especially, you know, first of all, it's Obama and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's new. And then when you hear the Eric Garner clip, it is all of a sudden it's a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was wondering like, you know, on for instance, on your website and on SoundCloud, you don't really give any any information about your pieces. And I'm wondering, like, in in concert or are, is is that maybe your intention that this this is going to like you don't set people up and maybe it is going to shock them. And and that shock is like, you know, uh I, I, I don't really know how to describe it because it was like, um, first of all, the music that you're writing is just gorgeous. But then when when the audio comes in, it gives a certain poignancy to what you have written and what mm. does come after it. So we talked a lot about the, the, the piece in the first performance and... I kind of I felt like I didn't really want there to be a lot of indication about what was what was coming. Yeah. Um I think that in my putting it all together I wasn't it wasn't really about shock value. Um I don't even know if it was even so much about making a statement. It really was just about trying to capture the 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 present moment and yeah. the music um and you know hearing it in, in performance i mean i i think i knew it would take people by surprise a little bit but i don't think i really kind of um it wasn't it wasn't even something i was concerned with the idea that you know we listen to music differently in a concert hall with lots of people around us sure and when you hear this stuff on on the news um or or read it uh as you're scrolling through it's easy to kind of like see it for a few seconds and then like distract yourself with something else because it's just it's almost like too much to to take in um and we're always used to like little short clips of something and so first of all to be in a room with a lot of other people and then to be confronted with these sounds that are familiar to pretty much everyone um and to not be able to like flip the switch or flip to a happy story or um turn it off and to have that experience with other people i mean it's kind of an intense experience Mm -hmm. um i think for me i just really wanted to capture the intensity i mean I, i was as I was writing it, I remember I was um, commuting to work one day and I was trying to like look at the clips and try to figure out how, like, how am I going to capture just the feeling of all of this? And I remember watching the clip of 
um, the pool party in McKinney, Texas, and there's the cop car that drives up and this cop gets out and he just like throws this girl across the yard. Like, I'm not even sure that she was doing anything. He just was like ready to like get things under control. I remember like I watched that and I like had to put my phone down and I just sort of sat there like angry but like you know thinking back to like the whole idea of intimacy of harmony like i just had this experience of watching this thing that's like infuriating and like nobody should like see that and also you know i'm doing this to myself like i'm watching it over and over again yeah. trying to like <laughs> capture that and here i am sitting amongst all these other people that are doing their own thing and nobody really is having that same experience and i don't know i just felt like that feeling I mean, even even beyond the music, like just that sensation, I needed to somehow capture that and put it into the piece. So, um, and it wasn't even about, you know, I didn't want it to be conceived as like trying to incorporate the electronics in some way. Um, I just felt like it was part of the music. And so I didn't feel like it needed uh, big flags that it was coming. Um, and I don't know that the flags would make a difference once you're in the moment of hearing the piece. Um, I, I honestly don't think so because the the you know the gut wrench mm. that that those audio clips provide. I mean, you could you could have all the warnings you want. It's not going to matter. It's yeah, still going to yeah. be it's it's still going to be just absolutely heartbreaking to to hear that stuff. And yeah, um, yeah uh, you when when i was kind of uh when i was listening just to, uh just today you know to prepare for the interview you know i'd heard the piece several times before but it's it still it really it, it, because it it i think the heart the most heartbreaking thing is that you know that this stuff is still happening on a daily basis. It's just a matter of like, are we hearing about it? You know, you know, it's still happening. And that's, what's really, that's the heartbreaking thing. I think, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, if this was a piece about just history, it's like, Oh, you can place it. That was a time and place, but no, this is about, this is about the present. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, here we are right yeah. now um with this even more uh front and center in some ways um which is which is also kind of interesting in that i'm not sure what it is well we all know what it is but for some reason right now these incidents have gotten more attention and more people reacting but i mean even all of the things that I was writing about, I mean, that wasn't, it was news, but it wasn't news. Like this is, this is how it has been for a long time. And I think that uh, the fact that people were starting to capture these things on social media somehow and getting to, um, you know, a larger audience and more people seeing that it was happening, it became kind of a bigger deal and people started to, pay a little bit more attention and now we're all captive and relying on social media and so when it hits I think even more people see it but it's um it's not a new thing right which I guess 
part of the point right now, but it it wasn't a new thing then either. And uh, yeah, it just, part of my thinking too was with the clips, like, uh, I remember having a conversation with somebody about this at the time, like not wanting the clips to sound, you know, 10 years down the road, like they were very dated and it was very much about that one particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I don't think I wanted them to feel as relevant as they still do. Right well, you're right, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't, wouldn't it be a beautiful world if it wasn't relevant right now? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, somebody asked me recently if I, if I thought about, you know, writing Synchrony 2. And I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but, you know, obviously there are many synchronies that probably could be written now. Um, And I'm sure I would approach it in a whole different way. Again, I didn't even set out to write that piece, so I'm not sure what the next one would be. Right. Um, I I did want to, you know, the the instrumentation we were talking about that, how it's kind of a... uh, you know, an exploration of duos and, you know, this is, this piece is, or this instrumentation is essentially like a Perot ensemble, but replacing flute and clarinet with oboe and bassoon. And Mm -hmm. um, I just love the sound you're getting from this ensemble. It seems like the, the, the double reeds and the, and the, the strings just blend so nicely. And um, I also saw that you have written a lot of kind of uh, traditional Pierrot ensemble, either the full ensemble or subsets of that. And I'm wondering how did how did having double reeds in this piece inform any any compositional or orchest- orchestrational choices? Since since it seems like you you are very comfortable with writing like strings and and flute or clarinet in in some mm-hmm. kind of combination. Um. It was an interesting challenge because, again, I hadn't written for this combo. I mean, I'm not sure there's a lot of repertoire for this particular instrumentation. Um, I and I think I felt more comfortable writing for bassoon. Um, I guess I have a, a bit of a thing for kind of the baritone register. I love alto flute. I love bass clarinet. Um, I love English horn and bassoon. Uh, so writing for oboe, I mean, I've always been attracted to sort of the more lyrical um, oboe repertoire uh, and definitely wanted to capture that. And as I was writing, I mean, I just kind of felt like it was it was easy to think about ideas being handed off between the, the strings and the double reeds, um, which, I mean, it almost just kind of felt natural and it's just having not spent the time thinking about that particular instrumentation. I don't think I really realized how well they would work together. Yeah. Um, also though, the use of some, some um, multiphonics on both the oboe and the bassoon, um, you know, I wanted them to, it was sort of almost those moments of like leaning in to, um, I don't know. I think of it as like leaning into the, to the knot. You're trying to like work out the knot. You're trying to get your frustration out in that mm-hmm. one spot. Um, and so that was a really uh, useful timbre to have access to. Um, and particularly the way it sounds on the oboe and bassoon, it's just a different, it's a different timbre in the two of those instruments and a sound that you don't really get 
from some of the other instruments when there's a little bit of the overpressure in the cello that kind of yeah. goes along with some of that as well. Um, but I don't know, they just, it, it, the, the instrumentation was partly dictated by wanting to make sure everybody that was part of the core ensemble had something to play in all the different commissioned pieces, but it actually was kind of a fortuitous uh, combination. Yeah, I mean, I think it works really well. Can you can you talk about the the title? I mean, synchrony. What what does that mean? Or yeah, what, well, I mean, maybe, it's all about maybe. capturing the idea of of multiple realities happening simultaneously. Um, okay. And I guess it applies to all aspects of the piece, from the idea of duets, um, and even with the duets, the music. The music is choreographed to work together, but most of the time they're not playing together, at least not in the first part of the piece. It's all about each instrument taking its turn as sort of the leader or the secondary role, um, and then passing that around to the different instruments within the ensemble. So. Um, there's that idea of two things happening simultaneously. And then there was sort of just my own, uh, my own navigation of uh, all of the events I was experiencing and how that related to me at the time that I was writing the piece. There are moments in this work that sound like the music could be either hyper notated or kind of relying on aleatoric techniques i'm kind of, i'm just curious which one it which one it is or if it's both or if it's neither i, I don't know the everything is uh almost everything is right now um and i i you know i always feel like the, if you want something to sound improvised you got to write it out the way you want it to sound yes yeah. and you know radius does a, a wide variety of music but they're not a new music ensemble um so just in writing it i mean and all the players that played on this piece played new music but and thinking about how to capture it just wanting to make sure that it was going to be the same anytime somebody yeah. did it the one place where there is some room is um when we hear eric garner saying i can't breathe and you kind of notice there's a cadence to how he says it after a while because he keeps repeating it. Yeah. Um, and the instruments are kind of uh, pitch is going away, and we're just kind of getting the 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 echo of the material they had been playing. So that part is a little bit aleatoric, um, but everything else in the piece is is right now. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's listen to it now. So this is the Radius Ensemble performing Synchrony.
we, the people, still believe that every citizen deserves a basic measure of security and dignity. To the young women here tonight, the moment anyone tries to demean or degrade you in any way, you have to know how great you are. No one is going to bother to put you down if you were not a threat to them. Well, you can step on out now. I don't have to step out of my car. Step out of the car. Step no, out of the car. No, you don't have the right. Step not, out of the car. You do not have the right to do that. I do have the right. Now step I out or I will remove I you. I refuse to talk to you other than to identify myself. Step out or I will remove you. I am getting removed for a failure. Step out or I will remove you. I'm giving you a lawful order.
So the last piece we're going to talk about is another uh, Radius Ensemble piece. Uh, this is the Clarity of Cold Air, and this is for flute, clarinet, percussion, piano, uh, violin, and cello. So that uh, that Pierrot Ensemble we were just talking about. What what were your images for for this piece as you were writing it? So I feel like sometimes I struggle with titles. This piece, I had the title probably about five years before there was an opportunity to write the piece. Yeah. Um, I'm from Michigan. I went to school at Interlochen. Um, I now live in the Northeast. It's always cold. Yeah. Uh, and, but there's a certain sort of like, uh, a certain intensity to particularly sunny days in the middle of winter when everything's covered in snow and has been for like weeks and it's very bright and everything just feels much more defined um yeah yeah i i grew up in salito ohio so i'm 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 aware of the cold um (laughs) i'm i moved out of it uh and i have been out of it for a long time but there's a kind of like electricity that that the cold kind of that that particular like experience that you're talking about that it brings on Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. there's also kind of an intense quiet yeah as well especially if things are covered in snow and you're in the woods um you know everything is covered up everything is slightly muffled and yeah, that's, it's a different kind of quiet that you get in the middle of winter than at other times mm-hmm. of the year. I thought that you melded the violin, the flute, and the clarinet together so well. At, at times, it it creates a kind of almost sinewy, like very tactile texture. And, and then at other times, you're using those same instruments, you're producing this kind of glassy crystalline type of sound um was this dichotomy part of your thinking when composing um i think it was a byproduct i mean i I definitely was thinking about sounds that sounded cold and glassy (laughs) and um but also about the sort of like the process of things getting cold and becoming more still and becoming more clear as they kind of solidify. Um, And I don't know for sure, but I think this was around the time when I was diving into um, microtonality a little bit more and kind of understanding. I think I discovered uh, the Ben Johnston string quartets and was, you know, reading some of his writings and, um, really starting to uh i think my ear was starting to acclimate to that world a bit more yeah um so wanting to kind of explore some of the spaces in between um but but trying to figure out how to do that and also marry that with my my sense of harmony that doesn't necessarily come from that way of thinking yeah uh, yeah, so this piece was sort of an exploration of that as well as trying to capture just that essence of 
of cold. Yeah, there's a one moment. It, it happens towards the beginning. It's like the flute, the clarinet, and the violin are all pretty high, and they're all just kind of slowly moving upwards by microtones, one overlapping the other until they finally get to where they're going. I think that was like, that, for me, that was a really... Um, good uh example of like what happens when like you say what happens when things like get cold you, you're just kind of stiffening up mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. you're everything is a little bit everything moves a little bit slower yes yeah. and you don't you don't really realize it's coming on until there's that moment where you're like wow yeah <laughs> i'm i'm cold and it hurts a little bit yeah right um it seems like this piece, perhaps more than the other two we uh, listen to, has a foundation in, I don't want to say tonality, mm -hmm. but maybe more traditional tonal structures, question mark. Mm -hmm. You know, is, is this how you were, like, you, you talked about having a very organic sense of harmony. Um it seems like with this one, apart from the apart from the exploration of microtones, though, you you are like you know exploring some more like tertian harmonies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, this piece feels in some ways similar to how I think about the opening of Intimacy of Harmony, mm -hmm. which is also about tertian harmonies. It's just you know, 20 more thirds stacked on top of each other <laughs> right? Um, in the piano piece. Uh, but I kind of feel like they all come from the same place. Yeah. Um, I think I do, I feel as though I'm at peace with my relationship with tonality. Um, but I feel like I, I, I I'm trying to just, haven't had to describe this before. Um, I guess I live in sort of some kind of tonality, but it's a tonality that's kind of densely packed. So sometimes it feels less comfortable, less tonal, yeah, um, less stable than maybe what I really am thinking it is, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I think about it like, um, so I taught at Berklee College of Music for a long time, and um, I taught the kind of traditional harmony classes, but, um, you know, there's many different types of harmony classes there, and, um, you know, they always talk about upper structure triads, and you've got the chord symbol with, like, 35 different alterations to it. Right. Um, and I feel like, in some ways, I think about harmony in that way, I just don't, I don't necessarily speak that language, but my ear kind of hears, I mean, it's just an F major chord. I just threw in like four or five other notes that had nothing to do with it. Cause I liked right. how they all sounded stuffed in all of the, the holes. Um, but I think, you know, my way of conceiving it is maybe more straightforward than what the end result sounds like. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do think it makes sense. Um, because you're you're still coming at this from, you know, you you have perhaps like 
maybe a background view of what the of what the progression should be mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but then you know as you say there it's just like you know more more and more things that have nothing to do with it but in your but in in your world they absolutely do so yeah i feel like it's like i watch way too many cooking shows but it's like you know if you watch <laughs> um somebody preparing something at like you know a real shishi place it could be something as simple as like i don't know what's something really basic like a grilled cheese sandwich but you know they've got to arrange it in just the right way and then you've got to have um the sauce and then you've got to have this extra thing and that little dollop of the thing and then you've got to put like the foam on top and then you've got to put a few more strips of like mm-hmm. the thing and there's got to be the right herb on the side there and by the time you get done like if i were to look at it i would have no idea what that was but all it is is like a grilled cheese yeah so it's kind of like that yeah i that, that's perfect i love that so <laughs> um can you uh there, there's an extended symbol roll around like four minutes, and that seemingly like came out of nowhere. What is the significance uh, of that to the to the overall piece? Honestly, I don't know. It just felt like the thing to do at the <laughs> it, moment. It, but at, at the time, <laughs> it felt right. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, so interestingly, this piece has been done by Ace Blackbird. Um, it was part of the rotation for a while. And I haven't heard them do it, um, but they've played it so many times that um, Matt Duvall, who's the percussionist in the group who I went to high school with, says that you know they really have sort of gotten inside of it. So I'd love to hear them do it. But years ago, they were in residence um, at Interlochen Arts Academy and they were supposed to play a number of pieces. And while they were there, um, their project morphed um, into this project that involved the students performing. And so the students actually played this piece and they did it on stage and um, it was sort of a um, interdisciplinary concert. So a creative writing student had written a poem kind of based on the idea. Then the musicians were performing and then some dancers had choreographed a dance to go with it. And so they were kind of farther back on the stage. And um, Matt told me afterwards that there were like three or four percussionists who were off stage just in the back that also were playing cymbals and tam-tams on that moment. So it was like the hugest <laughs> crescendo <laughs> and the biggest cymbal sound you could ever imagine. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. Like, how did I, do, how, what did they do? Like, I didn't understand. And then he revealed the secret. So. That's funny. Um, that that kind of texture comes back kind of at the at the end of the piece with mm. you know things kind of maybe evaporating is the wrong word, but maybe like freezing is the mm. is the better word for this. You know, everything just kind of like uh, just disintegrates into these kind of airy, noisy textures. So I was I was wondering if those two moments were kind of connected. I do think they are. I do think that, um, I think the big crescendo in the middle is just sort of like a, an arrival point. Mm-hmm. And then maybe at the end, it's a bit of a cadence. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of a, a return to that place. Um, but I think it's a, 
there's a certain visceralness, if that's a word, um, <laughs> to that sound that I am kind of attracted to. And I, I think it shows up in, in lots of my music in different ways, just sort of that, the, the sizzle of a cymbal and the, there's a clarity um, to kind of the, the diminuendo of that cymbal sound and that just sort of shimmeriness that you get there. That and at the very end, the bowing of the cortale, which is such a pure yeah. straight tone that you can't really get on other instruments. Um, so I think this, those were just kind of sounds that were very prominent in my ear. Yeah. Well, let's listen to it. So this is the Radius Ensemble performing the clarity of cold air.
So we've come to the last question, the one that I always ask all the composers and artists who are on the podcast. How did you come to music as the thing that you wanted to pursue for your life? That's a great question. Um, when I was young, um, we, we had a piano. Um, my grandfather, who I never met, um, was a huge opera buff. And um, so my dad had his piano. And um, my dad loved to listen to music. He wasn't a professional musician at all. Um, and my mom played piano just for enjoyment. Um, she would take piano lessons off and on. Um, but I think she played, you know, sheet music from songs that were popular when she was younger. And so the piano was always there. And I remember always going over and kind of like, tinkering on it until I got piano lessons and, and, and learned how to play. Um, and then there was my dad's record collection. Um, and I remember getting excited. Uh, he kept the, the record player in the basement. I'd get excited whenever he'd go down there to like open it up. And um, he just had like an incredible variety of things in his record collection. I remember like Lou Rawls was one of my favorite albums. Um, and Nancy Wilson and Nat Adderley and Bootsy Collins and Bootsy's Rubber Band and um, the Average White Band. And then he'd have things like Peter and the Wolf and um, <laughs> Handel's Royal Fireworks. And I mean, like on and on, just like the craziest variety of things. And Miles Davis, um, Sketches of Spain and Porgy and Bess, which... I think honestly is where I probably learned orchestration more than anywhere else, listening mm -hmm. to those Gil, Evan arrangement, Gil Evans arrangements. Um, but I think it was, it was that, like just the excitement of all the different types of music. You know, I also grew up with the, the dawn of MTV, yeah. and, which happened also as rap and hip-hop started to become a thing and so like all of that was happening you know in my formative years and I think I just kept being drawn to it and I took piano lessons and I took trumpet lessons and um played in the band and played in the orchestra and it just became a thing I had to do and even when it came time for high school you know again going to interlock and I just wanted to be in a place where people were as into music as I was. And, um, you know, I think back from time to time, like, uh, so, you know, I was a trumpet player at Interlock and, and there would be times in the dorms where, unfortunately, a lot of the brass players all lived in the same <laughs> hall. And so we would like, crank recordings of like Mahler five yeah. different orchestras and compare like <laughs> who played it better and Ta -da, ta -da. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think like just being in that environment and like I don't know just wanting to just immerse myself in everything I could and listen to everything I could and I just got to a point where like there wasn't any other option it had to be music all the it time had to be music yeah yeah. Well, before we go, can you tell uh, people where they could find more of your music, where they could connect with you if they liked what they heard, stuff like that? 
Sure. Um, so I do have a SoundCloud page. It's got a lot of stuff on it. It's Prof J B H P R O F J B H. Um, I've got a Facebook page. I don't know what the URL is for that. Um, I've got a website um, that I do, you know, an okay job of keeping <laughs> up to date. Um, but a lot of music, like sheet music and all that, is available for purchase through there. Um, and then there are numer numerous albums. Um, there's the Serbov album, the Radius album. Uh, there's another group in town, Transient Canvas, that has an album coming out soon um, with a piece I wrote for them on it. Uh, I would say you could start with those places and, and see where it leads you. There's stuff on YouTube. There's stuff everywhere. All the yeah. places. All the, all the places. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>